Today on the Italian radio show, we celebrate Columbus and dispel the lies with Lou Gallo. And we get a cooking lesson from Rick and Monochinos. All of this and more coming right up on West Coast Italian Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to West Coast Italian Radio. This is your host, Tony Lastella, and uh, we're just so glad to be with you here today. Uh, you listen to us live on the 11.50 a.m. KKNW, part of the uh, Hubbard Radio Broadcasting Program there, KKNW, 11.50 a.m., or on the Internet. You can hear us worldwide uh, by streaming us. Go into our website. Just remember the acronym for West Coast Italian Radio. That's WCIR.biz. WCIR.biz. Go to the top of the page. Click the link. You can stream this show from anywhere in the world. And uh, you can also, at the same link here, any of our past shows from the last five years in our archive. As soon as we're done with today's show, that'll go up in the archive, too, so it'll be available with all the rest. Uh, you are listening to us, of course, um, with our great engineer, Eric. Uh, Eric, you there? How you doing today, buddy? I'm here. I'm doing fine. Thanks. All right. Well, let's tell our folks here, if you want to call in and be a part of our uh, of our uh, audience today by participating in our show. Our call-in number is 425-373-5527. 425-373-5527. Now, today, of course, you know, Marcia, our regular co-host, is away in Italy. Unfortunately, she's traveling today, so she's not going to be able to call in. She'll be back uh, next week. Uh, well, she'll be available on the show next week from Italy. So we had to get a very, very special co-host today. I mean, I, I took a lot of thought when I was trying to figure out who to ask to be the co-host of today's show. So I went directly to the Witness Protection Program, and I got this guy out on bail. Here he is. Yes, folks, I brought him back again. The one and only kicked out of the mob himself, Mr. John Abate. Hey, Johnny, how you doing? Listen, I'm glad to be here again back in Seattle. I want everybody to know that actually I was away on a nice government-sponsored vacation. It was a hell of a place to learn how to play golf and other things. Happy to be back with you, Tony, and look forward to uh, participating again with this show. All right. Well, you know, we're going to jump right into today, Johnny, because we got a very, you know, today's show is going to be pretty much all about Christopher Columbus. Uh, we're going to be because I mean, it's Columbus Day, October 12, 2020. Just a great, great day for Italian-Americans everywhere. But, you know, it's interesting, John. You know, going to our news story today, I got this news. This is from the Italy magazine. Uh, we're going to do our Italian news now. I wanted to know what do the actual Italians out of Italy, you know, think about Columbus? We know what Italian-Americans think about him, right? So, yes, you know, I went back there, and, and, uh, and, and this is, came out, this article came out about two weeks ago, September 15, 2020, in Italy Magazine. They had a very nice thing about how Columbus was born in 1451 in Genoa. Of course, you know, this was some debate for a while with some historians because yeah. they were trying to say, well, maybe it was from Spain or Portugal. However, there was a document they found called Documento Acereto, uh, which is mm -hmm. a 1479 document confirming that Columbus was, in fact, born in Genoa. And the uh, document Genoa, is in yes. a museum yes. called yes. the G Galata Museum of the Sea. Okay. So, you know, right. Columbus, he, I mean, this, this, ever since he was a kid, every, he was really, really into, you know, anything that had to do with ships, the ocean. Uh, at 10 years old, he started, you know, working on ships, but he was also very, very into his studies. He loved history. He loved ge uh, geography, astronomy, and he really was into the travels of Marco Polo. And he was also a real student of the Bible, uh, especially yeah. in, in, in biblical prophecies, okay? So, you know, by the time he was in his 30s and he was, you know, starting to put these voyages together, um, you know, he was very well versed in it. His proposal for the, you know, to, for the trip was at the, to find the, 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 he was looking for actually the Western route to the Orient, okay? And, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. and of course, instead he found the yeah, Americas. Yeah. But he put the, the proposal together twice, and of course, it was kicked out by, uh, you know, the king of Portugal. He rejected it twice. Finally, yeah. uh, <laughs> he was in favor with the, uh, 
the uh, of Isabella from Castile, and they and they funded the project there. But did you know that Columbus actually made a total of four voyages, uh, you know, to the United to to the Americas between 1492-1504. Uh, of course, we all know the ships. He had the Santa Maria. Uh, he had the Pinta. Um, you know, in the, the ships that he, Columbus actually was on in his first voyage, the larger yeah. ship, the Santa Maria. And he traveled, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he basically, you know, to the Canary Islands, uh, northeast of Cuba, you know, which is, you know, essentially where he first landed there. Uh, then he went on in, in, in his successive trips to other destinations. Uh, and, and, and in these trips, I mean, he brought over a lot of settlers. He brought over... Uh, like 1,200 people to establish colonies. Uh, the, you know, some of his like, th third or fourth voyage to the yeah. American, like 17 ships, right. priests, soldiers, farmers, the whole thing, right? Uh -huh. Eventually, of course, um, he went back to uh, Spain. Actually, his last, you know, his last voyage here, he was actually stuck uh, on the island of Jamaica for a year because he got hit by a bad hurricane. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, Interestingly, Columbus passed away um, shortly after his last trip. Okay, so he got back to Spain in November of 1504. Okay, he wasn't that old because he was born in 1892. So he was like, what, 30? He's like uh, 34 years old, you know? But basically, he died in 1506. So, you know, he, he, he was not that old. Uh, and he said, you know, um, his ultimate death, he 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 got a lot of illnesses during his voyages there, a gout, fever, influenza. That you know, <clears> right. his ultimate death he goes from um, was from food poisoning. Where I'm going to is this was all stuff. This is all the stuff that the Italians you know know about Columbus. Yeah. They tell you about Columbus, and in Italy, how did the Italians feel about Columbus? They continue to this day to celebrate Christopher Columbus as a great hero. And explorer, they got countless statues throughout Italy, especially in his hometown of Genoa. So you know, God bless the the Italians, um, you know, and uh, for keeping the, uh, you know, the history and uh, the 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 story uh, of Christopher Columbus alive. What do you think about that, John? Well, I'll tell you right now, Tony, you're absolutely correct. And uh, next year, I hope to be in Sicily uh, visiting some of my relatives on my late father's side. And I, I believe that uh, he'll be uh, well uh, received, uh, praised in Sicily as well, because we are well, part you know of it. And exactly. Uh, so there's, admit it or not. There, there's a lot of controversy, as we know, about Columbus. Mostly it's it, it's, right. it, 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 it's it's uh, false news it's fictional yep. facts right. that people are making up yeah. and, and and most of it are lies basically okay uh but people you know the the mainstream press the politicians jump on this stuff because anything you know to sell newspapers or get more viewers you know and of course the politicians they want to do anything they could do to jump on the bandwagon for votes so neither the mainstream me, me, mainstream media nor the politicians uh have been perpetuating any of the truth about Columbus. They've just been perpetuating a lot of lies. Uh, we have yeah. an expert that we're going to bring on to the show today to talk about that a little bit more. Good idea. Very good idea. But Very first good idea. of all, I figure, you know, we got to come up with some good Italian-American phrases, okay? Yes. These are going to be insults. These are I went out of my way to find the proper insults right. I know you for did. all of these people who are out there yeah, trying that. to lie to you try to mislead you about Columbus, okay? So I got right. five five words you got to learn today, and here we go, okay? The first one is, don't be afraido and spread lies about Columbus. Okay, That's so right. you know, what's the definition of afraido? We've all seen the Godfather. We saw That's the exactly. dumb, wimpy brother Fredo, okay? So uh -huh. you don't want to be called afraido. Fredo means you're a dumb wimp, all right? Dumb wimp, All yep. right, the second word. If you believe lies about Columbus, your mama Luke, okay? Mama Luke, yes. Mama, you remember a chump or whatever, yeah. you know? That's you're right. a patsy. You're a chump. Yeah. You don't want to be a mama Luke, all right? Okay? right? And then we keep going. Your next phrase, the person who started all the lies about Columbus. He's a real chooch. 
Remember, chooch, John, a chooch. That's a yeah. moron, but... A moron. You don't want to be a moron like the guy who started all these lies, you know? Mom, but in Bertone and Sicily, that's another term for chooch. Yeah. It refers to a certain part of a, a donkey. You see what yeah, I mean? Exactly, exactly. So uh, a chooch is also something else besides a moron in Sicily. All right. So, and the last phrase we have for, for you, the last word, most politicians are mezzestunad when it comes to Columbus. Uh, yeah, they're half they're half wits. They don't pay any attention to the truth, all right? right? So there are your half very, wit. very important Italian American phrases. Happy Columbus Day to everybody. And we're gonna be right back with more of the program. As I said, coming up uh, here at the half hour, we got Lou Gallo joining us. He's like one of the utmost authorities in the world on Christopher Columbus to tell us the truth about Columbus. But don't go away. Meanwhile, we're gonna have some great cooking coming up next with Rick from Milo Chinos. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Tito Beveridge, founder and master distiller at Tito's Handmade Vodka. The owner of a local liquor store told me to forget the flavors, so I make only vodka-flavored vodka, smooth and gluten-free. 80-proof Tito's Handmade Vodka, distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. Tito'sVodka.com. Hey, Dad, thanks for helping me cook this Italian meal. we got to pass down our family recipes. Your food is always so good. What's the secret? Having the best authentic ingredients, like the Cicernio sausage, for instance. Fresh cuts of meat with no preservatives. I remember what my friend Frank Isernio said. All natural Italian sausages to make the perfect Italian meal. No wonder it tastes so good. Available in major supermarkets up and down the West Coast. Isernio Sausage. Visit Isernio.com for recipes or to find a store near you. Hi, I'm Tito Beveridge, founder and master distiller at Tito's Handmade Vodka. In 1997, we became the first micro distillery in the state of Texas, and we're still making the same smooth stuff after all these years. We're still cooking in a pot still, working with our dogs by our side, having fun and tasting batches and I'm still wearing the same hat even after all these years. Head over to titosvodka.com to learn more about what else we're doing the same. Cheers. 80 proof Tito's handmade vodka distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. Titosvodka.com. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. And folks, welcome back to the West Coast Italian Radio. On all of our breaks, you're listening to the music of Tony Listella and the Goombas, the West Coast Italian Radio House Band. Normally, you would be able to catch us playing <clears throat> fairs and festivals and Italian fairs and Italian festivals and other events all across the United States. But of course, this year we're not doing so much because of COVID. You can catch some of us at the Festa Italiana Seattle, where we did a big virtual festival uh, and you can catch some of our music there. We played as well for some of the other artists there. That's FestaSeattle.com. Make sure you check it out. It was a lot of fun. And now, you know, uh, John, this is my favorite part of the show coming up here. The food part. Oh, mine too, Tony. Mine too. You got to have great food. And I got to tell you, some of the best Italian food you can have anywhere in the United States is at Montalcino Ristorante Italiano in Isqua. I'm not just saying this because I know and because I sing there. I'm saying it because it was rated like for four or five years in in a row, in a row, four or five years, one of the top 100 restaurants in the United States of America. And so, you know, I asked my good friend, Rick, who is the owner, he is the master chef there. I asked him to come on today. He's going to teach us about one of our favorite uh, recipes, which is tortellini con panna and pancetta. Tortellini with cream and pancetta. All right? Tony, I'll tell you what. You know, uh, my daughter and her family, when they came up to celebrate the birthday, went over there. They couldn't stop talking about it when they went back to Salt Lake City. You know what I mean? All right. So let's hear from Rick here. Here is a recording we made of him making tortellini con panna pancetta. This is from our Festa Italiana video that we made with Rick. And here's the soundtrack. Hi, everyone. It's Rick from Montecino's Restaurant in downtown Issaquah. Today we're going to show you a dish that we do at the restaurant. It's uh, tortellini with pancetta and fresh peas. Uh, we have some of the ingredients we're using today is our house-made tortellini, obviously. We've got some pancetta, some parmesan, some fresh peas, a little wine and cream. Um, some other ingredients that we'll go through along the way, but we wanted to start off with this dish. All right, so let's begin by doing some of the prep. 
required so that we can do this dish. Uh, first, we're going to take the pancetta and we're going to dice up the pancetta. A reminder that uh, you can use bacon, uh, but pancetta, the difference between bacon and pancetta is the bacon is smoked, pancetta is cured. I highly recommend pancetta. And we're just going to cube this up into nice dices. Okay, from there, we're also going to grate some of fresh Parmesan. Um, Parmesan comes in many different types. I highly recommend the Reggiano. So Parmesan Reggiano is your Parmesan of choice. And we're going to grate some nice Parmesan cheese. I always grate my Parmesan as close to service as I can. Um, you can get pre-grated Parmesan, but grating it fresh is always preferred. We're also going to dice up some uh, red onion. A nice fine dice in your red onion. You don't need that much. And we're also going to mince some fresh garlic as well. I just crush it in the board and give it a nice mince. Again, you want your garlic nice and minced evenly, just like so. We're also going to um, dice up a little bit of fresh parsley just for garnish. I'll show you that at the end. I've washed this parsley and we're just going to give it a nice, nice, even mince. We're also going to use some of the vine ripened tomatoes. So I'm going to first take out the core of this tomato and then I'm going to give it a quick dice. We're going to use that just as a little garnish at the end, just for a little color in the dish. All right, so now we've done our prep. In the kitchen, that's called mise en place to put into place, but we've got our prep done. We've got our pancetta diced. We've got our red onions minced and our garlic minced. We've got our fresh Parmesan cheese grated and ready to go. And we've got some beautiful fresh peas that are going to go into the dish as well. So now let's uh, move over to the stove and we'll start cooking. All right, so now we're ready to begin the preparation of the tortellini pancetta. As you can see, I've got some hot water going for the tortellini. A reminder to add salt to your water. A lot of people ask me how much salt and I always say make it taste like the ocean. So have enough salt so where if you taste it, it tastes like the salty ocean. Um, don't be afraid to oversalt it, obviously in moderation. Um, for that, we're gonna preheat our, our uh, saute pan, make sure it's hot and ready to go. I'm gonna add just a very small amount of olive oil to the pan, just enough so where I can get some uh, heat transfer on the pancetta. And I'm gonna add my pancetta. The uh, sound that you hear is the sound that you want to hear. You, anytime you put something into a saute pan, you always want to hear it speak to you. If you put it in the saute pan and there's no uh, sound, you haven't preheated your pan well enough. So now I'm going to turn down my heat just a little bit because I want to render the fat out of the pancetta. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that fat to release out of the pancetta and it'll make uh, it'll uh, blend with the sauce and help with the flavor and texture of the sauce. Get that going a little bit. From there, I'm going to add a little bit of uh, the red onion. And uh, we add a little bit, a little knob of butter to the pan. All right, so we're just about done. As you can see, the pancetta is starting to caramelize, it's starting to release some of its fat. We're going to go a little further and we're going to add our peas. Alright, so now some fresh peas. You want to use fresh peas because the frozen peas won't have the texture. If you use fresh peas, you'll still get that snap. You'll still get that crunch with the peas. Alright, so an important reminder, pancetta is salty, it's cured. So I am not going to salt this dish, but I am going to add a little bit of fresh ground black pepper. I'm now going to turn up my heat a little bit because I'm going to get my pan ready for a deglaze of Pinot Grigio. Today I'm using a Thames Pinot Grigio. My philosophy on cooking wines is if you don't want to drink it, then you don't want to cook with it. All right, so now our pan is nice and hot, and I'm just going to deglaze 
with a small amount of wine. And then I'm just going to reduce that a small amount. doesn't have to be reduced all the way, but I'm going to start my reduction before I add my cream. All right, so today I'm using a 40% uh, fresh cream. That means there's 40% fat in this cream. It reduces really, really nice. As you can tell, it's got a great thick consistency. We're going to add that to the pan. And we're just going to let this reduce now. Let all our flavors blend together. All that fat from the pancetta now will blend with the cream. All right, so you saw me use olive oil. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the olive oil I used. I used a pure olive oil. Olive oil comes in many different characteristics and variety, but usually you'll see it in pure, virgin, and extra virgin. Pure olive oil is what you want to use when you're cooking. Anytime you start going into virgin and extra virgin, it means they haven't added any heat to the process of the extraction of the olive oil. So taking an extra virgin and throw it into a pan, you might as well have not used extra virgin olive oil. Extra virgin olive oil is to drizzle over vegetables and salads. Pure olive oil is for cooking. So the pure olive oil is what I use today. All right, so this is about the texture we're looking for. You can tell it sort of coats the back of the spoon. So when you get there, you're going to remove it from the heat a little bit, let it come down, and I'm going to add a little bit of the Parmesan cheese. I'm going to save some for garnishing on top. I'm just going to add my Parmesan, and I'm going to just work it into the sauce. Again, the Parmesan has salt in it as well, so between the pancetta and the Parmesan, you shouldn't need to add any salt to this dish whatsoever. All right, so as I'm letting that reduce, I'm going to turn down my heat, and now I'm going to uh, quickly cook my tortellini. Reminder, I've salted my water. No need to add olive oil or any oil to the water. Just some salt. Make sure that's a rapid boil. And these are fresh tortellini, so they cook very, very quickly. Um, as soon as they, they float it to the bottom, as soon as they rise up, it'll only take a couple minutes, I'm instantly going to just drain them, and they go right into the sauce. So let's talk about the origin of tortellini. There's a pretty funny little story and I'm not sure how accurate this is but this is the story that was told to me years ago. Um, way back in time Zeus and Venus are weary from a long battle and on their way home from this battle they stop by a little inn and decide to have dinner and drinks. So they have a big feast and they actually get quite drunk. At the end of the evening they decide to share a bedroom together. So Zeus and Venus go up to the bedroom and the innkeeper, very interested, goes to the door and looks through the keyhole, but all he can see is Venus's navel. Inspired by that, he rushes down to his kitchen and makes a pasta in the shape of Venus's navel. Thus, the tortellini was born. All right, so we've cooked the pasta. A reminder, al dente, to the tooth. Keep a close eye on your tortellini. If you're using fresh tortellini, a couple minutes max. And then they're right out of the water, no need to drain. They should go immediately into your sauce. Um, I oftentimes undercook them and they do a final cooking in the sauce itself. So I've added the tortellini to the sauce. I'm just going to combine this. And we are ready to serve. So now we're just going to take our tortellini and we're going to transfer them to whatever plate you have. You can do this family style or individually. Um, you know, we serve, uh, this is a, about a portion size at Multicinos. Make sure you get some of that fresh peas and the pancetta on the dish. All right, to garnish this dish, I just like to throw a little color. Not that it needs anything, as you can tell. I used a striped tortellini to ha have some color, but I like to bring out with a little bit of fresh parsley. Of course, a little bit of our house tomatoes. And then at the restaurant, we love bull's blood. Um, this is just a little microgreen that has beautiful color. It's truly just for garnish. And then, of course, a beautiful sprig 
of basil, and a little nectar of the gods. Tortellini, pancetta with peas. All right, I want to thank you for spending some time in my kitchen today. Um, I just also want to remind everyone that Montecino's is open. We're doing um, takeout, we're doing in-room dining, and we've got actually a little space on Alder Street where we've got a tent set up so people can sit outside as well. And we're also still doing Italian food delivered with a song by our cameraman, Tony Listella, who's behind the camera today. Uh, so there's uh, different ways to enjoy the Montecino experience. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in the very near future. Grazie. Thank you so much, Rick Reagan and Model Chinos. Man, John, that makes me hungry. I'm going to mean. Oh, of course. I, mean, I could go for one of those meals that he has over there, Tony. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. The tortellini is so good, it makes melts in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? All right, folks, don't go away. Because coming up right after our next commercial break is none other but Lou Gallo, the man himself. We got him on the line here calling in from, uh, he's in Long Island, New York. But this guy is the head of the social justice for the Sons of Italy across the United States. And does he have some information for you about celebrating the legacy of Columbus and dispelling all the lies coming right up after this next break? Don't go away. Hi, I'm Tito Beverage, founder and master distiller at Tito's Handmade Vodka. When I got into this business, I used to make flavored vodka infusions for my friends as gifts. When I started to make a go of it, the owner of a local liquor store showed me the dust on some flavored vodka bottles that sat on the shelves. He said, if you can make a straight vodka so smooth that you could drink it just by itself, then you'd really have something. So I did. And now all these years later, we still only make one flavor, vodka flavored vodka. 80 proof Tito's Handmade Vodka, distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. Tito'sVodka.com. Hey, Hey Dad, thanks for helping me cook this Italian meal. We gotta pass down our family recipes. Your food is always so good. What's the secret? Having the best authentic ingredients, like the Cicernio sausage, for instance. Fresh cuts of meat with no preservatives. I remember what my friend Frank Cicernio said. All natural Italian sausages to make the perfect Italian meal. No wonder it tastes so good. Available in major supermarkets up and down the West Coast. Cicernio sausage. Visit Cicernio.com for recipes or to find a store near you. Pacific Food Importers has been distributing Mediterranean food products in the greater Seattle area since 1971. Beginning as an olive import company, PFI has evolved into a well-known wholesale food distributor in the Pacific Northwest, servicing restaurants, grocers, manufacturers, and caterers. Family-owned and operated, PFI stocks a wide variety of cured meats, specialty cheeses from around the world, and a vast range of Mediterranean products. PFI's service area includes the greater Puget Sound region and Portland, Oregon. Situated in North Kent, PFI has a central location allowing for efficient service and delivery, as well as convenient will-call pickups for established customers in Seattle. Pacific Food Importers Incorporated is committed to providing quality products at competitive prices to the food service industry of the Pacific Northwest. Visit PacificFoodImporters.com for more information or to contact us. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. This is Tony Lestella with West Coast Italian Radio, and I'm talking to my good buddy here, Lou Gallo. How you doing, Lou? Very fine, Tony. Very, very fine. You're back there uh, on Long Island in New York, right? You got it. All right. How's the weather back? Nice and warm or what? No, it's in the 50s, and it's raining right now, and it's a little windy. So it's a great time to do a meeting with you. That's fantastic. Well, we're very glad to have you here. And, of course, now just to let all of our audience uh, and listeners know that Lou is one of the uh, experts here in the United States really on uh, on Christopher Columbus. He spent a great deal of time uh, studying uh, the uh, the history of Columbus and really getting it right. And, well, you know, it's interesting. You go, you actually go around, uh, to different events dressed up like Christopher Columbus. So then you basically put on a performance where you're talking, uh, as if you were him in the first person and basically making sure that the facts are straight, right? Exactly correct. Exactly correct. Now you did that, you did that yesterday for the, the, uh, the yes, Sons of Italy, right? 
at a ceremony and uh, I, I was introduced and I gave a 10 minute presentation about uh, the value of his discovery and it was a true discovery and also uh, over the centuries how that discovery began the promotion and reflection of Italian culture. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and the interesting thing is, uh, apart from, um, of course, myself being Italian-American, uh, belonging to many different Italian-American organizations, and also being a fourth-degree Knight of Columbus in the Catholic Church, I know this whole issue uh, of Columbus and all the stuff that's been coming up lately has, is really troublesome to a lot of us. Uh, and it's kind of reflective. You know, I was reading this morning. It's reflective, actually, of something that, uh, I, that I was unaware of that's been going on for almost a century. Because, I mean, initially, uh, when we formed the Knights of Columbus back, you know, a hundred or more years ago, uh, the Ku Klux Klan was very much, uh, you know, against Columbus, against the Catholic Church, against Italians. So, you know, why do you suppose, I mean, what has happened here in recent times where now there's suddenly all this negative information getting out there in the public about Columbus? What has caused that? Okay, it really started far as back as 1980. You can trace the more modern criticisms and the more modern uh, protestations against Columbus's holiday and legacy back to 1980. The American Indian Movement, AIM, was led by Dennis Means, and one of the things that he proclaimed at that, in that year was, in order for America to survive, Europe must be destroyed, okay? And, of course, that started a whole ripple effect. It started with Berkeley in 1992 when they changed Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day at the 500th anniversary of his discovery. And in the same year, a book was written by Howard Zinn called The People's History of the United States of America. A left-wing Marxist, I shouldn't say left-wing in deference to the left-wing, it was a Marxist a discourse uh, about Columbus and this entire country, the first chapters on Columbus, but the rest of American history. He literally excoriates all of our American leaders, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, even claims that, uh, you know, during World War II, we acted just like the Nazis did. I mean, he really, really stretches it. And how does he do it? He has textual corruptions. He takes an item here, an item there. He combines it into one quote, and he creates a distorted image. So it's kind of like it's kind of like what we what we're talking about is you know the the the, the fake news that we hear about where you know they'll take a little bit out of this story, a little bit out of that story, and they put it together trying to create almost to be a revisionist, try to rewrite history by telling half truths. And exactly. I you know it's interesting. I remember there is a a quote I read somewhere about a half truth being actually more damaging than a lie, because a lie you can disprove easily. A half-truth is where they're taking these different things that are true, but they're putting them together to create a lie. And that's essentially what you're saying they did here. Exactly. Snowballed because he sold two million copies. It eventually got to the schools, particularly the colleges, who trained teachers. And those teachers, of course, took on this Marxist ideology because they found it believable. And uh, then they, of course... uh, actually distributed to the schools, and this kid, these teachers, again, spoke to an entire generation, taught an entire generation about this distorted view of Christopher Columbus. And you can see the manifestation of that with the statues coming down, with the critiques on Columbus, the protests against him in every major city in this country. So they're basically, what you're saying is they're accepting the, this, the, this, these half-truths and this narrative that this person put back together years ago, that's been taught to this whole generation. And now if they're trying to accept that as being the facts, when actually, in fact, it's not the facts. It's in fact totally distorted from the facts. So let me ask you this. uh, What are the facts of Christopher Columbus and how he treated the indigenous people when he came to the Americas? Okay. The really, the great source for that is his log. um, And there many interpretations of the log, but the one I usually focus on is Robert Pusan, who's highly acclaimed. And basically, at the landing, it was truly a discovery, uh, Tony, a true discovery. Europeans had never been in this part of the world. They never saw these people. Uh, this was akin to us landing on Mars and finding Martians. Yeah, it was yeah. also a very, 
solid discovery for the natives. They never saw all this white skin with beards and all this clothing because they were basically naked. And, uh, you know, they even thought that my reason why probably they were, you know, this is how superstitious they were, that they were covering their tails from their rear. And uh, that wasn't true at all, of course. They were marveled at the superior weaponry and the majestic ships that they saw. And after he uh, had proclaimed the naming of that particular island in the Bahamas, he called it uh, San Salvador, the next thing he did was to give gifts. He gave beads and what are called hawks bells uh, to these natives. They, in turn, gave him parrots and cotton balls. It was a very, very benevolent meeting. It was very, very benevolent. And uh, they he did it. He got that he impressed them into service as guides and interpreters and instructors that came aboard, showed them the landscape. He asked them a lot about their culture. Uh, he asked them a lot about the landscape. He wanted to find the gold because the idea of that gold was to finance a crusade to the east by going west. Right. And the idea was to uh, meet up with the Grand Khan of Cathay, which was then, which was, which we is no, now known as China. And to impress him about Christianity, because the Khans in Asia were very interested in Christianity and its teachings. So, so let me ask you. So let me ask you. Of course, a lot of the uh, the people who you know are on the other side are claiming that it's Columbus's own diary, that his own documentation, that claims that he committed certain atrocities, even you know as far as genocide against some of these Native Americans, you know, these Natives in the Americas when he landed here. So is there any truth to that, or, you know, how can they claim that? That the tractors do the same thing that Howard Zinn, who was the progenitor of this of this distortion. They take from different and create the images. I was in a Zoom meeting at uh, San Jose uh, where they have a, com- uh, a, a group that is trying to decide whether to take down the statues, and the missive that was sent out by the, the by the mayor was just as distorted as Howard's in. I couldn't believe it. And uh, the, what you have to understand is even some of the primary source material upon which detractors rely on comes from a man by the name of Francisco de Bobadilla, who was incensed that Columbus got the appointment as the viceroy because he has closer relations with the crown. And so he kept the dossier on Columbus. And so when this he was did, like Columbus's main uh, adversary back in those days, at the time he did this. Yes, exactly. Uh, he was. He, he was a uh, his rival in the Spanish court. He was Genoese and not Spaniard. There was anti-Genoese discrimination because the Aragonese and the Genoese would fight. There were a lot of military and naval battles and Italian and Spanish wars. And, of course, the Genoese amongst the Spanish uh, were not very well received. So Columbus had a couple of strikes against him already. So now he had this detractor who was sent after the, after the third voyage because the sovereigns wanted to investigate all of his, his troubles about what was going on. Now, most of the time, Columbus wasn't even there. He was under contract to find lands. He left the settlement by Spaniola with a commission headed by his brothers, some clergy, and also the settlers. He couldn't handle the situation. You know the old expression, the cat's away, the mice must play. Yeah, yeah. Men were taken as slaves, women were raped, was marauding and pillaging throughout the villages, and this commission couldn't control the situation. So this was he, not actually Columbus. No, he wasn't he, even these there. Were, so he, so he, he left these, these settlers there that he, he had transferred over uh, in place, and he was off doing his thing. And, and unbeknownst to him, they, the settlers and those people started to take advantage of the natives, right? Exactly. And all those atrocities and iniquities that the detractors and the revisionists point out, the horror, the savagery, he wasn't there. After his second voyage, while he went on a second voyage, he was exploring southern Jamaica and Cuba. Pedro Marguerite was told to go into the interior, directed by Columbus, and he was to act as ambassador, and, and try to get as much information about the landscape that you can. And then, of course, uh, we're looking for the gold, so find out where it is. We're going to trade of equal value and so forth and so on. But Marguerite didn't do that. He went in. He took the men as slaves. He beat up the kids. He marauded the women. And he, upon his return, the commission said to him, you better straighten out. He got so incensed because as a, as a nobleman, he wouldn't take that. 
And this was, also so knew. This was actually Columbus's rival who did this. Well, this is oh. one of the men he had taken with him as gotcha. a crew. He gave gotcha. him this assignment. Gotcha. And then what happened was he knew Columbus, upon his return, would probably throw him in jail and send him to Spain, you know, uh, yeah. to be uh, interrogated and prosecuted. He took off, commanded some ships. So by the time Columbus came back, he was already gone. The situation was in terrible shape. And when he came back, he got so sick that he was laid up for a couple of months. And the commission still couldn't handle the situation until such time Columbus decided to take very strong action. So what did Columbus do to correct it then? Yes. So he captured and they said, well, he enslaved them. He didn't enslave them. He took them as prisoners of war and sent them back to Spain because he thought, I can keep the men and the Indians separated, things will be a lot more peaceful. So he sent them to Spain as prisoners of war. Okay? That's where the detractors claim he enslaved them. He didn't bring slavery. Slavery was already there. The Taino had uh, enslaved the Siboney. The Caribs had enslaved the Tainos. It was rampant. Slavery was there already. He didn't introduce anything of the sort. And then, upon his third voyage, uh, he came back. The situation by Francisco Roldan was in such bad shape that he hung seven Spaniards. And when Francisco de Bobadilla was sent by the sovereigns to investigate the situation, he was told, investigate, report back. He didn't do that. He came in. He was horrified by what had been done. The next day, five men were also going to be hanged for contravening the treatment of the Indians against sovereign policy. So actually, so what, so, result, so, so what happened was, was trying to correct it. He was trying to correct, he was trying to correct the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what happened? He sent them back in chains. And what did Boba C say to everybody? Guess what? I don't know how this is going to last. This is exact quote. I don't know how this is going to last. But do what you want. And did they did. They started to hack these people to death. They started to steal from the villages. They marauded the place. They actually and uh, took them as slaves. They actually beat the kids up. They had these games where they would cut heads off. Who did this? Columbus was blamed for this. He wasn't even there. He was sent back on a ship in chains. Yeah. But his diary or his letter, he was laying this all out. And they were thinking that, oh, you see, it happened under his watch. No. He was on the ship. The captain gave him some writing utensil and a piece of paper, and he laid this all out so that he could tell the sovereigns, this is what's happening in your settlement. Right. So I'm the, not set- there. the settlers were doing this without yes. Columbus's permission. When Columbus tried to correct it, the settlers actually got upset with Columbus and sent him back to Spain. So what did Bobadilla yeah. do? He said, I'm going to get witnesses to all of this. But the witnesses were simply blaming Columbus and his supporters for the actions they did. And so all that they could get away with any prosecution. So all of this is documented, yes? Oh, yes, this is all documented. And there it, are enough uh, writers out there, Carol Delaney, Rafael Ortiz, uh, Rich De Silvio, the people that work. And they have the historical documents that prove sure. all of this, you know? Yeah, so exactly. then I guess my, the million-dollar question here, I, I know we, we don't have a lot of time, but my the million-dollar question that I have, if – this is all documented by historians, and they're showing the actual documents, you know. How come, how come then, we still got this problem, you know, with, 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 with all the politicians, with all the leadership, well, not all, but a lot of them, you know, jumping on this bandwagon to, you know, to de- demonize Columbus, take his statues down, change it. How come, you know, they don't accept the truth? Because it's... The same here. It's a very simple uh, uh, concept. Wet the finger, raise it up in the air. Which way is the trend going? And this is where all the elected officials are going. Yeah, yeah. A lot of pressure put on them by the indigenous people who are playing victimhood up to the hilt when they committed as many atrocities against each other, enslaved their own people with uh, human sacrifices, uh, ritual sacrifices, uh, cannibalism, and they don't want to face that. Because they're playing the victim. And, of course, what is the trend today? What do you do? You criticize the dominant culture. The dominant culture is the established traditions. How do you upset this whole thing? You simply ruin the history, ruin the heritage, uh, come up with ideas that will, uh, without a doubt, make people forget this thing. And this is what the trend is. There is a bunch of people out there. This is a Marxist insurrection, Tony. I'll say it flatly. It's a Marxist insurrection. 
You can see it in Black Lives Matter. You can see it in Antifa. It's all there. You can see it from these detractors. Howard Zinn isn't about Marxist. There is evidence to show he's a member of the Communist Party in the 1930s. When he put together this, uh, this distorted history of his, he was giving lessons on Marxism to the Communist Party of Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, yeah, come on. This is all here. And the, pro- okay, the, the problem, the problem that we have, and you know, we see it rampant today, is that you know, the media, the major media, gets involved with this. They have no really bear- interest on in really presenting the truth. They want to present whatever is going to be popular, whatever is going to be over the top, whatever is going to be sensationalized to basically sell newspapers to get more viewers to get this without any. You know, and they have total indifference to what actually the truth is. If they do tell the truth, they tell it in such a a a a, a staggered way that they are trying to lead you to a conclusion that may not be the conclusion. And of course, we know, all know politicians. Politicians just want to get re reelected and everything. Right. So they're going to go whatever they don't care about the truth. Whatever the you know is going to be popular, get them votes. You know, exactly. So. Exactly. Before we end here, I just want to mention there's a few uh, places where people can go uh, to really find out the truth about Columbus and, and, and everything here that Lou is, is telling us. One of the things actually is uh, it, it went on uh, yesterday, and it's going to be going on again today. It's a special on Columbus called uh, The Discovery of America, Courage and Conviction, it's going to be on actually the Catholic channel EWTN and wherever that you can get EWTN in your area. Uh, check that out. There's also the Sons and uh, the Order of the Sons and Daughters of Italy has several different resources. They have one that is an official uh, Christopher Columbus site. It's actually it's called officialchristophercolumbus.com run by Raphael Ortiz. And he has several very uh, good uh, resources there. He has some videos, one video called Debunking Ted Ed Ed's History versus Columbus. Another uh, one is on a special they recently did on Columbus. And there's a book that is uh, supposedly, I, I've not read this book yet, but I've been told it's a very, very good book about presenting the actual facts and the truth about Columbus called The Hero. The Hero, which you can get on Amazon. So, Lou, are there any other resources, anything else that you can tell uh, our listeners that they can do to not only learn the truth, but to get involved in supporting uh, this mission? To, you know, Let's keep Columbus, let's keep the truth in our history. You cited two beautiful sources. In fact, I consulted them last night, saw them. People are going to see the positive legacy protected through those two videos. My organization, the Commission for Social Justice, we are in the process of building a website. It's up and running. I would say to your listeners, please take a look at this. It's a very eclectic piece. Uh, we take in a lot of different kinds of material from every direction, all about the positive legacy of Columbus. You can access it at therealcolumbus.org or columbusthetruth.org. That's Either fantastic. one. That's, and of course, and we and want to really encourage our listeners also, you know, do not, uh, do not hesitate to, you know, contact your public officials, contact, uh, the mayor of your town, contact your city council, contact uh, your legislators, your governor, your legislators where you live, and really, you know, insist that, you know, uh, that, 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 that they follow the truth about Columbus, that they honor the Columbus uh, heritage, what he has, uh, has uh, you know, accomplished for this country, uh, and what it means to the Italian-Americans, the Knights of Columbus, and others. And again, we're not in any way suggesting that there shouldn't also be a day to honor indigenous people. That's wonderful. We all want to honor indigenous people as well. They should have their own day. Columbus should have their own day. They can have their own statues. Columbus has his own statues. But, you know, there has to be... I mean, I really, what do they say? The truth will set you free, so don't be afraid to follow the truth and insist upon it. Wouldn't you say, Lou? Absolutely. Uh, They must understand. Please, listeners, take a look at the material your grandkids and your kids are getting. If it's Howard Zinn material, if it's critical or distorted, you can tell because they castigate him as a barbarian, invader, 
a conquistador, a slaver. It's not true. Please and consult the sources that Tony and I have recommended, and you will get the truth. There is a book out right now by Mary Graybar called Debunking Zinn, where she shows that what the material that these teachers are using is wholeheartedly distorted, not getting the right history, and that this is a pattern with Howard Zinn in all of his material, tracing from Columbus all the way to the modern day. Well, thank you so much, Lou. We really appreciate having you on the show. Look forward to having you back. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And, you know, I wish you the very best uh, with uh, with all the work you're doing. You're really, uh, you know, uh, contributing a, a, a great, great thing that you're trying to do here for for the Italian-Americans, just for, you know, the truth in our society in general. Folks, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to be right back uh, after this word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Tito Beveridge, founder and master distiller at Tito's Handmade Vodka. In the mid-90s, I bought a piece of land in Austin with a credit card check and built the very first micro distillery in the history of the state of Texas. I'd never built a still before, so I did some research and designed and built my own pot stills based on Prohibition-era bust photos I found in the library. I didn't know then that this was kind of the start of the American craft distilling movement right here in Austin, Texas. Cheers. 80 proof Tito's Handmade Vodka, distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. Tito'sVodka.com. Hey, Dad, thanks for helping me cook this Italian meal. we got to pass down our family recipes. Your food is always so good. What's the secret? Having the best authentic ingredients, like the Cicernio sausage, for instance. Fresh cuts of meat with no preservatives. I remember what my friend Frank Cicernio said. All natural Italian sausages to make the perfect Italian meal. No wonder it tastes so good. Available in major supermarkets up and down the West Coast. Cicernio sausage. Visit Cicernio.com for recipes or to find a store near you. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk 1150. Well, I tell you, we have had a heck of a show today, haven't we, John? You know? It was a fantastic week. Uh, I'm uh, on the computer most of the time trying to develop some sense of normality, learning a little bit more about what's going on in the world, and trying to do more research about Sicily and so forth, because I may be winding up there next year doing a project for the Egyptian government. That's fantastic. Can you believe believe that they're thinking about hiring me, of all people hiring me? You know, go figure. You go figure. I know you got to go out of the country because you can't stay here with all your background. Mamma mia, you know. Well, anyway, folks, we appreciate so much you listening to our show today. We have a lot of fun here. Of course, we make a lot of jokes. Nothing is sacred. But what is really important is that the truth, the truth is important. You know, we can have fun, we can laugh, you know, we can make fun of different things. But in the end of the day, the truth is important. It's and the Italian Americans, you know, really appreciate Lou Gallo getting the truth out there about Columbus. You know, and we really appreciate also uh, Rick Reagan for you know his his contribution to today's show with our great uh, our great Italian recipe. Folks, tune in next week. We're going to have a brand new show for you right here on West Coast Italian Radio Network, bringing you every week a brand new Italian radio show. A salute! Buona fortuna, buona fortuna.